0: We are in our uh, summer sessions and what we're doing, uh, we have eight teaching pastors and and we are rotating through all of our locations teaching about an Old Testament um, story. A lot of times in the Old Testament, we can sort of disconnect the Old Testament from the New Testament and we can kind of think like, oh, God was different in the old than he was in the new, or, you know, God operated a certain way in the old than the new, or the old really doesn't matter as much as the new. You know, some people, I'm a New Testament. That's all I read is the New Testament. And, and we, we really lack a lot of depth in our understanding of God's faithfulness and God's plan and God's sovereignty uh, whenever we do that. And so our goal in this series is to kind of help you maybe hear some stories that you haven't heard before, but also hear them in a way that you haven't heard them before and how they connect to Jesus, how they connect to the New Testament, and how it all ties together and how it all was in the plan of God. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and we think about God in the Old Testament as sort of a haphazard leader, a haphazard God that sort of things just accidentally happened and he was surprised by them, but he wasn't, and he's still not today surprised by by things. But um, how many of you, I got a question, how many of you like long stories? I'm talking long books, like the thicker the book, the better. Come on, show of hands. Raise them high. Let me see. Okay, novels, like you like trilogy type stuff, like long, how many of you shorter the better? Come on, like get to the point already. All right, so a few more like shorter stories and long stories. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be honest. I was surprised by the amount of people that like long stories, especially in 2022, Right? Give me the cliff notes version. Give me just the bolds. Like you know, whenever you go to read an article, you just you scroll to the big bold letters, and if those are interesting enough, then I might go back and read the whole article type thing. That's where we live, right? Cliff notes. But uh, you know, overall, we 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 sort of tend to like shorter uh, 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 stories or kind of get to the point. You know, Uh, if a movie gets past two hours long. Nowadays, it's like, oh my gosh, just wrap it up already. You know, I got things to do. You know what I'm saying? But the problem is, is that when it comes to God, God writes long stories. God writes long stories. And if if I had to kind of title today's message, it would be this God writes long stories. I was talking to somebody a couple of months ago, and they said this, and it just stuck out to me because I am not a long story person. I'm really, I'm a long winded person. But I'm not a long story person. Like, get to the point. Let's move on. If I'm reading those leadership books and they start talking, like, about some sort of family story or they start sharing some sort, I skip over those stories. and I, I Give me the meat. Give me the point. And if it's interesting enough, I might go back and read the, the, the whole story. But I really don't care to hear about what happened whenever you were 10 years old. Sorry. That's me. Right? I want, I want, I want the leadership principles here or whatever the case is. But God writes long stories, and so today we're going to be looking at the long story of the life of Rahab. Rahab. Now, some of you, you know Rahab, you know about her and about her story, but some of you today, you're going to hear a story that maybe you've never heard before. And, And again, that's kind of the point of this message series. And so... Rahab, she was uh, in the city of Jericho, which is the first city that the Israelites uh, conquered after entering into Canaan. In case you don't know, the Israelites, God's people... We're in captivity for about 400 years uh, to the Egyptians. And uh, Moses, this is where Moses comes in. He, he goes, he's, he's sent by God, and he uh, confronts Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh does not listen. Ten plagues hit Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh relents and sends the Israelites out. The Israelites very quickly... Uh, they, they, they very quickly turn on God. You know, you've got the Ten Commandments. They, they go and they, they make their own golden calf and start worshiping their own golden calf. And, and very quickly when they leave Egypt, they're all of a sudden in this battle between whether they're going to serve God or not. And uh, what they do is they, they come up to the promised land, the place where God is sending them. And they, uh, uh, Moses sends out uh, spies. And when they come back, all the spies except for two say, we can't take the land. All right, real quick, you've just seen God, like, do crazy things, all right, crazy miracles. You've seen him split the Red Sea. You've seen all these crazy miracles. And then you come up to a land where there's some big guys there, and everybody whimpers and and cowers and says, we can't do it. Like, God doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? And they quickly forgot God's power. And because of that, God sent them into the wilderness for 40 years. And all the people that rejected God or all the people that didn't think that they could take the land had to die off. But there were two spies who uh, believed, Caleb and Joshua, and Joshua actually succeeds um, uh, Moses. So when Moses dies, Joshua takes over. And that's where we pick up this story, and this is where Rahab comes into play. Uh, Joshua 2, uh, verse 1. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim, that's how you say that word in church, shatim. Notice that. <laughs> That's how you do that. <laughs> as <laughs> as spies, <laughs> there's a few words, for words in the uh, in the Bible that you have to, you know, you have to Christian up a little bit, you know, for our culture, but. They said, He said, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So Joshua sends two spies. I like how Joshua sends only two spies this time. He doesn't send 12 again. He's like, no, 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 no. I know how this works. We've been here before, sending two guys, and I've already told them what to say when they come back. You know, like, we're not going back into the wilderness for 40 years. But these two spies go And they end up at that house, the Bible says, of Rahab, who was a prostitute there, and they stayed there. Now, a lot of times what happens whenever we read the Bible is uh, it mentions somebody's name, and we just skip past their name, and we just keep going. But I want you to take a second here, and I want you to think about Rahab. This is a human being, a person who, like, what is her story up until this point? She's a prostitute. What's her story? How did she get to that type of life? What's her storyline? How old is she? Is she 20? Is she 40? You know, how, how old is she? And how did she get to this place in her life? What's her reputation like? You know what I'm saying? If we kind of think about it in our context, someone who's in that lifestyle many times they didn't that wasn't like whenever they were five year old, five years old. That's not what they were planning on becoming and planning on doing. It's sort of just it happens. Or or maybe they made a bad decision or or maybe they were, you know, abducted or, or kind of forced into that lifestyle. But no matter how it happened, she finds herself as Rahab the prostitute. What an identity, huh? What a label to be placed on you. She finds herself in this place and these two guys show up. And here's the deal. They were spies and they were incognito, but everybody knew who these two spies were. <laughs> everybody already knew. So when they come to her, she's like, yeah, I know who you guys are. You know, and, and, and the king even finds out that these guys are there. And he sends soldiers to Rahab's house, Rahab's place of living. And we pick up the story in verse 8. It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And what she had done, by the way, one thing I need to say is she had sent the soldiers off. Um, she basically lied to them and said, oh, they're already gone. They're already gone. They're already out the city. So they kind of sends the soldiers on a wild goose chase type thing. And then she comes back and, and she goes up to them. And this is where we pick up. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. beneath. I find it so intriguing that Rahab in Canaan in Jericho has heard about the stories of the God of the Israelites. Y'all, this happened like 40 years ago. She potentially wasn't even born yet. And she's heard the story of the Israelites and how they got out of Egypt and what God did. And it's like fables. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like, like far, far away. And all of a sudden, those people are right across the river from you. And you know what their intentions are, to conquer, to take over. And she says something that's so bold and pronounced and something that, again, we can skip over if we don't understand what's really going on here. She says that she hears about the Israelites' God and that she believes that he is the one true God. Now, that's significant because Canaanites worshipped Baal and they also worshiped Asherah they worshiped a plethora of false gods but specifically you see all throughout scripture the worship of Baal and Asherah Baal was the god of the storm and life-giving rain and Asherah was basically the mother earth goddess okay and and for a lot of us we've heard of uh, you know mythological myth uh, uh, mythological gods and, and and we hear all this stuff and But these people believed in these gods and they worshiped these gods. And so for someone like Rahab, who's been raised up in this culture to declare this, it's a big deal. She's turning her back on an entire way of living. She's turning her back on the gods that she has worshiped and been a part of her whole life. And the worship of Baal and Asherah was nothing to be taken lightly. I wanna read you an excerpt about The kind of how they would practice their worship. It says this, the principal pillars of Baalism were child sacrifice, sexual immorality, both hetero, homo, and bisexuality, and pantheism, which is uh, basically worshiping the creation over the creator. Adults would gather around the altar of Baal. Infants would then be burned alive as a sacrificial offering to the deity. Men and women would engage in orgies, And it was believed that these rituals would produce economic prosperity by prompting Baal to bring rain for the fertility of Mother Earth. That's what these people were doing. That's what these people were a part of. It's also something that whenever you hear someone talk about how God was such a mean God and how he sent his people on these conquests to kill these nations and to, to tear them apart you know basically people paint god into a negative light but they, they they gloss over the reality of what was going on in the nations that god sent his people to destroy the level of unrighteousness the level of immorality and god would warn them god would send prophets at times to warn his uh, warn these nations of the uh, coming judgment and many times they would disregard those warnings. And so God would bring judgment to, uh, to sort of start from scratch, if you will, in those areas. And so what we see here is the worship of Baal, the worship of Asherah. This was common practice, human sacrifice, sexual immorality. The worship of false gods was one of the main issues that God warned his people about. Uh, <clears throat> he warned them to have no other gods before him. And also not to practice the worship that the pagan nations engaged in. I want to read you some scriptures about this. Deuteronomy 12, 31. God said, You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Deuteronomy eighteen ten. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, or engages in witchcraft. Jeremiah 19.5, they've built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. God says something, something I did not command or mention, nor did it ever enter into my mind. God is very straightforward about what he thinks about the worship of these gods. And he warns the Israelites uh, that, that as you go and you conquer these lands, don't participate in what they do. Don't receive into yourself what they do. not intermarry with those because if you intermarry, you will begin to worship their gods as well. Very straightforward. Bringing the delineation between the people of God and the people of these pagan nations. And it's, it's interesting to me that there's always two aspects of pagan societies. It's, it always involves sexual perversion, sexual immorality, and, and murdering of innocent people, specifically in this case, murdering of innocent children that are always offered up as sacrifices for the common good. Right, Because what they thought is they thought that if they sacrificed children, that it would please the gods, that it would appease the gods. You fast forward into the Romans and the Greeks and you know around the times of even Aristotle, this mindset was still prevalent. It looked a little bit different. You see, what they would do is whenever children were born and they were deformed, many times they would, they would kill that kid it was missing a limb or if maybe it wasn't the right gender or maybe they just didn't want another kid, they would leave the kid on the wall at times and to be exposed to the elements to where that kid would just die. They would throw it in trash heaps. They would burn them, right? Because they just didn't have maybe the time or maybe the, the economy or whatever to, to support those kids. And so they would, they would do that. Also, if you research the Aztecs in, in Mexico uh, around the 13 and 1400s, you'll read how they would sacrifice children and they believed that the tears of the children would actually appease the gods and would bring more fertile grounds and more economic prosperity to their, to their people. And, and still today, let's just be honest, it's not, not much has changed. We still deal with these two massive issues, sexual immorality and the killing of innocent kids. And this is the world that we still live in. See, we intellectualize things. We make things sound different. We make things sound more modern. But it's the same sin. You see, they used to believe in false gods, and we are, we're going to appease the gods, right, so that, that we will have economic prosperity. And, and, and then it became more, you know, intellectual throughout the uh, the, the Roman period. You know, th- there was this mindset that we don't want to continue to have babies with uh, deformed babies or, or, or babies who have handicaps. We don't want to continue that. We need to, you know, cleanse the bloodline, if you will. And and that was the mindset. And, and now here we are today where it's like we've labeled abortion a, a human right. The, the level of perversion, it's the same perversion, it's just different words. And so, you know, it, it, I find it ironic that here we are coming out of the month of June, which is a, a month that celebrates sexual immorality in our nation and all over the world. And also at the same time, we have this massive argument surrounding when does life begin? You know, is life really that sacred? You know, I, I, tend, to, I tend to see the same pattern with uh, the Romans where they would see a baby who just didn't you know, wasn't perfect or wasn't, you know, didn't add up to all the things that they wanted the baby to be, and they would kill that baby. I see the same tendency whenever we test our children in the womb for if they have certain diseases and we decide at that point whether their life is worth living or not. It's the same, it's the same pattern. And so here we are, no different, 2022, different verbiage. We have different reasonings for why we support different causes, but it's the same sin. And and I just want to challenge you as Bible believers. That we would read the word of God, that we would read the heart and understand the heart of God, and that we would apply that thinking to how we live our lives and how we think, not vice versa, not what it, it used to be the God of Baal, now it's the God of self. It's the only difference. Back in the day, they used to believe that truth was outside of them, that God had truth or the gods were true, and now we believe that truth is inside of ourselves, but it's still false gods. It's still fa- we, we make fun of the, the Israelites for fashioning a golden calf, right? Like, how could they do that? They took their necklaces off and they melted them down and they made a calf and they worshiped. That's so silly. But yet we take all of our ideological ideas and all of our, our uh, you know, political things and we, we melt them together. And they don't look like what God desires us to do and how he desires us to live. But we worship at the feet of that idol and we don't think it's the same thing. We're 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 coming up against this in our nation, and can I say another thing? Young people, a lot of the things that I'm saying right now, and the ideas that you've heard for many many years, has been it's been defined as old, traditional, antiquated. And for you, and when I say young, I'm 37, and so I would say like young, like me and below. You've been, you've been inundated and, and uh, uh, washed in this type of thinking that it seems like it's antiquated. But, but y'all, righteous living is never antiquated. It's never antiquated. It's never traditional. And what you have to do is you have to decide, am I going to stand with God? And what the word of God says or not—it's very simple. And I understand this because I could take another thirty minutes and, and and dialogue, you know, about about these situations. I understand that there's a lot of talking points. There's a lot of issues that we face. Uh, you know, there's 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 pregnancies that happen that are—it's uh, just—it's—it's it's tough. I would say if if you've had an abortion, or you've been a part of an abortion, or if you're facing that right now, there is a plethora, uh, first off, if you're facing it, can I, can I point you to the Women's Resource Center here in Gulfport to help you navigate the, the tough situations that you're in? If you've had an abortion, can I let you know that God's grace is sufficient for you to heal you and to forgive you, right? You don't have to live in shame and condemnation. And there's a whole conversation to be had surrounding those those things. But we still cannot align ourselves with with perverted ideologies that honestly lead to more death and destruction. And I can tell you that the answer to a lot of these situations is not just kill the babies. There's a lot of other better alternatives than that. But let me tell you something, because I know what I'm saying is not popular, and oh well. Um... But if you're young, if you're young, listen, I know you're watching your TikToks and you're watching your Instagram and you're looking at all what people say. The logic that these people are using to come to their conclusions is circular and it cancels itself out and it is poor logic. But it's trendy and if you tell a lie long enough, it becomes truth and you've got to grow in your understanding of seeing the 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 weaknesses in these in these uh, these talking points, and and reading the actual Word of God, actually reading the Bible, and actually and don't go listen to a bunch of progressive teachers. Uh, coming up in August, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about progressive Christianity, and uh, it's gonna be <clears throat> it's gonna be fun. But um. But these types of, of patterns of thinking, it's one thing that the Canaanites worship these false gods, it was a whole other thing whenever the people of God adopted those practices. And as the people of God, we cannot adopt the practices of a pagan world. We must draw a line in the sand. And so for you young people, my heart goes out to you because I understand the battle in the mind, I understand the anger and the feelings that you even feel now potentially at what I'm saying, but uh, our feelings don't negate truth. Amen? So Rahab finds herself in this place, in this society, riddled with sexual perversion, uh, riddled with this type of mindset, a godless culture, but she stands up in boldness and she says, your God is the one true God. Huge deal. Big deal. And she saves the lives of these two spies. And then she's about to send them out in verse 12, it says, now then... She says, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, I, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Verse 18, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. And she said, according to your words, verse 21, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, another little side note here. Again, whenever you read scripture, sometimes you can gloss over these things. What does this scarlet cord represent? There's types and shadows all throughout scripture. This scarlet cord, you'll see this color scarlet represented in other things throughout scripture. And what it represents is the atoning work of Jesus. The atoning work of Christ, which is another hot topic when it comes to uh, the Christian world nowadays, which is you know, the validity of the atonement of God and, and atonement of Jesus and whether it's even a real thing at all. But if you remove the atoning work of Christ in the scripture, I don't really know what you have anymore. But this represents the atoning work of Jesus, which is simply the fact that Jesus's blood was shed—innocent blood shed for the guilt of all, all mankind, the punishment that we deserved. And we see this uh, represented in a few different scriptures. You can go back and read these later if you want. But Genesis 28, we see uh, the scarlet cord and the birth of Perez. Which, for fun, just go read chapter 38 of Genesis. It's uh, it's a weird chapter, but uh, it's like a weird reality show. But go but go check that out. Uh, but you'll You'll see the scarlet cord uh, in, in Exodus 26, the tabernacle's curtains. You'll see this, the scarlet yarn that's, that's interwoven into that. you also see it in the high priest's ephod in chapter 28 of Exodus. Uh, but you'll, you'll see this all throughout, and it represents the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make on our behalf. Also, you'll see the same thing. It's it's not a cord, but it is the the blood that was applied to the doorpost of the um, uh, whenever the Israelites were still in bondage in Egypt, and the angel of death came. Every person who had blood on their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their house, and their children would be saved. The firstborn would be saved. And all throughout Scripture, this is what this represents. And so, when you're reading Scripture and you see this scarlet this idea surrounding this scarlet thread or yarn or whatever, you can know that that's a reminder of the blood of Jesus, the atoning work of Christ. And there's a whole lot of things like that in scripture that, again, when we talk about studying scripture, studying scripture is not just reading like three chapters as fast as you can and then like dinging that thing on you know checking the box on your uh on your U version app it's actually reading the bible and whenever you come up against things you're like what does that mean read a commentary buy a study bible take a little bit of time so where you can actually understand what the bible is saying and let me encourage you with one thing sometimes the bible is not talking about you <laughs> did you know that the bible's not about you <laughs> Many people read the Bible and they're like, I didn't get anything out of it. It didn't help me from my job today. It's not the point. <laughs> it's a little bit deeper than that. Read to know God. Read to understand the heart of God. And you will be encouraged. Don't get me wrong. But read to study the depth of the word and uh, it will encourage your life. So, But the point there is that every story in the Bible connects to a larger redemptive story of God's plan. And so this is what we see here. The scarlet thread for Rahab So verse 23 says, Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given us all all the land into our hands. Come on, I bet those were wonderful words for Joshua to hear as opposed to the last time. It's like He's like, this is on repeat. You know, you know, I, I said this 40 years ago. God has given us the land. They, they knew it and in faith they step out. But what's funny about it is that they know that God's given the given them the land. And you would think it's like straight up right there. I mean, let's go. Let's let's travel over. Let's just take the land. But if you go read after chapter two, read the next couple of chapters, you'll see that it wasn't just Let's go. There was a few things that happened beforehand, and I find it funny because, you know, they're like, let's go take the land, and and God's like, okay, but go be circumcised first. (laughs) Circumcision before war is counterproductive, y'all, and I don't know if you know that or not, but, uh... (laughs) okay, Um, some of y'all don't see the humor in that. I find it funny. I find it funny, you know why? Because they had not been faithful to the commands of God in the wilderness, and they had not continued to be circumcised. And so, before they were to go and actually engage in battle, they had to be—come on—they had to be sanctified. It makes me think about us. Sometimes we're 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 ready for battle. We're ready to fight a war, spiritually speaking, of course. But there's no purity. There's no no obedience, right? The the Israelites had not been obedient. And if you fast forward through the story, we just talked about them, the the, the Canaanite, the way that they would worship. We see them be disobedient over and over, and it was the same thing. You know, they would would repent, and then they would fall back into sin. Then they'd be judged, and they'd repent. And we're going to see that cycle. You'll see that cycle through some of the other uh, teachings that you're going to hear in this series. It's the same thing. And here we are today, same thing. Some of you are fighting battles and you don't have any victory because there's no purity. There's no obedience. But they had to be pure. They had to be circumcised before they went forward. They had to be obedient to God's command. And uh, they crossed over the Jordan River. They they finally, they followed through with the circumcision. And then they get to Jericho. And Jericho was a fortified city, y'all. I'm talking thick walls. It was not just a place that you rolled up in. You pillaged and you move on. There was no way to get in there, right? And so God tells them something that makes no sense. He says, I want you to march around the city for six days, once a day. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times, and then I want you to yell real loud. I mean, can you imagine the guys, like, like big old burly beard, and they're, like, grunting and sharpening their swords. And Joshua's like, "Uh, hey, guys, so here's the plan. <laughs> um, So... We're going to go and we're going to march once a day for six days and come back. And the guy just stops sharpening his sword, just like, huh? He probably just grunted. Huh? And um, he's like, and then we're going to go on the seventh day. And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, all right. And then we're going to march seven times. And then we're going to yell. And the Levites, the guys over here in the little, you know, white robes with the, the trumpets, they're going, to, they're going to blow their horns. <laughs> What is this, a birthday party? Like, what's, <laughs> what, <laughs> kazoos? I mean, what's happening here? <laughs> and he's like, but after you yell, God's going to show up. He's going to do something great. And that's exactly what happens. I have trouble reading the Bible without seeing the humor in it sometimes, y'all. It's just, but they do, and they're obedient to God, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it, never, it doesn't make logical sense, given the time that they live in, right? The thinking of the day is just Go as quick as possible, take him by surprise. You know, it didn't, this strategy of war didn't make complete logical sense, but it was God's plan. Some of y'all need to hear that today. Some of the things that's going on in your life, you're like, this doesn't make logical sense. I get it. I have some of those things in my life as well. I, I wish God would just kind of do one, two, three, and it seems like he's doing nothing even close to that pattern at all, you know? But, but God's got it. And so the Israelites had to trust and they had to obey. So we pick up in verse 25, the walls have fallen down. And verse 25 says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua was saved alive. And she has lived, this is so interesting, she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, we focused on a few different things, but I want to take a few minutes as we close here, and I want to focus in on on Rahab. Rahab rejected her former life. She rejected her former life, and she was devoted to God and his people. Took boldness, right? But she was saved because of that. Now, she's a Gentile, she's a Canaanite, and she is redeemed. Out of her sin, out of that judgment, she is redeemed and her whole family saved. This is long before Jesus, y'all. This is before Jesus came to the Gentiles. This is a long there are are many people we see in the Old Testament who were saved by their faith in God before Christ. And this is one of those stories. I find hope in this part of the story for me. (laughs) Right? That that I might not come from the the right bloodline. Come on, y'all. But I am saved by grace. Come on. And Rahab was saved by the grace of God. Not only that, but Rahab is mentioned in the hall of faith, in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. The hall of faith. And and she's along people like this. Are ready? Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Samuel. People like, y'all, listen, Joshua didn't even make it to the hall of faith. Come on, man. If I'm Joshua, I'm a little bit salty over that because I'm like, Man, I was the spy that went the first time, and then I'm leading. Moses passes it on to me. I don't get, like, up in the hall of faith. You know what I'm saying? Rahab does. Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, y'all, in the hall of faith. And probably the coolest part is that Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. Okay. For those of you who don't still get it, okay. (laughs) A godless deviant. Right, come on, use the worst verbiage you could possibly apply to somebody. That's who Rahab represents, and she is included at the end of the day. She's included, she's in the lineage of Christ. So real quick, I want you to to let me know and remind me of why you think and why you feel that God cannot redeem you, cannot heal you, cannot restore your life, Tell me all the reasons, all the failures that you have in your life. Come on, if you're young, tell me all the all the, the reasons your family is not who it needs to be in order for you to be super successful or to God to God to look at you in a worthy way. If you're old and you've made a lot of mistakes in your past, come on, remind me again of why you feel that God can't use you because I believe that Rahab kind of redefines all of those things. And you need to find hope in that today. You need to find encouragement because this is what happens the enemy, by the way, the, the will of the enemy is to kill, steal, and destroy you and all of humanity. He hates us. Okay? Go read the word and read where he comes from and why he is, why he is so fueled in anger and pride. He hates you, and so he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy humanity. And so what he'll do for you, uh, to you, is he will either uh, try to destroy you emotionally and mentally if you can't do that, he'll destroy you spiritually. If you can't do that, he'll destroy you physically. He comes at you in every part of your life. For some people, they're very strong emotionally, but he takes them out spiritually. For some people, they're very strong spiritually, he takes them out emotionally or even physically. Some of the strongest Christians I know have some of the most chronic pain or the chronic physical pain that they have. Why? It's, the, it's the sin that is seeking to destroy you and seeking to distract you from who God is. And over and over in our lives, we are to choose to follow God through all of those things and also to be reminded that those are temporary afflictions. It's temporary We need to get sucked out of 2022 and have a bigger uh, 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 lens, a bigger view of what we're a part of, y'all. Your life is bigger than today. Your life is bigger than this life. Your life is a vapor. I was reminded of that recently. Someone I was very close to, young, healthy, full of life, whose life was taken in a freak accident. And it reminded me again about the, 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 how thin life is. We take each other for granted. We take God for granted. We take environments like this for granted. Because we just think that we're just, we're good. Like we're just, I don't know, we're, we're always going to be healthy. We're always going to be on top of the ball, right? But we're not. Life is short so we're called to live a holy life, but we're also called not to submit ourselves to the lies of the enemy. And Rahab is a great example of this. She was redeemed by her faith in God. She confessed with her mouth that God was who he said that he was, and she believed in her heart. And she risked her life to serve God. It reminds me of Romans 10, and I'm going to close right here. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, made righteous before God. By the way, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You're justified by faith in the finished work of Christ, not faith in your own ability to to uphold some sort of standard of righteousness. We all have fallen short of that standard. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says this, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And I want to encourage you, when it says not be put to shame, I don't read that and think about it as being put to shame in this life. Some people are like, oh, I'm never going to be put to shame if I follow Jesus. No, I believe that as Christians we are going to face situations where we are going to be put to shame publicly, societally. That, that, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about one day whenever we stand before Almighty God, we will not be put to shame in that moment. We're going to be resurrected to new life, saved, glorified. That's our hope. That's our hope. And it's not some far-fetched hope, some weird mythological thing. This is the truth of the word of God, and this is what we believe. And so today, if, you know, if you find yourself doubting a lot of the things that we're talking about, maybe you doubt whether God is the one true God. Maybe you, you believe that, but you doubt that God can use you. And, you and, and whenever you see the story of Rahab, you're like, yeah, that was for her. It wasn't really for me. Whatever it is that's being dealt to you today, I want to pray for you, and I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe for some of you, you need to repent today. Some of the things that we talked about with Canaanite and the Canaanites and the way that they would worship and all that, maybe you, you realize like you're kind of buying into some, some false idols in your ideology and the way that you kind of approach life, and you need to repent from that. You need to turn from that way of thinking and turn to a more biblical approach to living. No matter where we find ourselves today, I believe that all of us are somewhere in that and so all of us can, can pray and ask God to direct our steps. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We do, God. We thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy for us. We thank you for your, thank you for your word. God, your word that is timeless, that is applicable to, to, to wherever we find ourselves today. God, the same things <clears throat> that we see going on in biblical times god it's the same th- same thing we see today the same struggles that people had then it's the same struggles we have today so god we're asking for revelation knowledge right now for understanding for truth to be revealed in our hearts and in our minds god if, if we're in this place today and if we're struggling to receive that truth god i'm praying that over the next few days and months god that you would bring clarity to our heart and our mind to see with your eyes, not our eyes. God, we don't wanna think like we think. We already got, we're already full of that. God, we don't don't wanna think like this culture thinks. That's not beneficial. It's not righteous. God, we wanna think like you think. Give us your mind. Give us your eyes to see. God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us. If you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus and you wanna make a decision to follow Christ, just say this, say, God, I surrender my life to you the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that I'm ashamed of, the things that I think are successes and I want everybody to know about, God, I surrender all of that to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to restore my life, to give me a heart that knows you and hears your voice. I thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. I place my faith in him today.